Uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20. We haven't done this in a while, but I think it, uh, when we get into, or late, when I share a few things related to this chapter, I think it'll make more sense. Why don't you stand as we read God's Word together? And as I read it, let me read it as not only the, the Scripture that it is, but also kind of a prayer back to the Lord, uh, but also a prayer on all our behalf, and also God's blessing of this prayer on us. It's a lot of things in nine verses, so let's read them together. I'll read aloud. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire. Fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up banners, our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Father, we pray this back to you. Lord, we pray that you would hear us tonight. And Lord, even now that your Holy Spirit, I, I ask for your help and your strength. I could never do a single verse justice. But Lord, I ask for your help. I ask for your anointing. Lord, I ask that you prepare our hearts, those that are watching online, those that are here. Lord, that we would have soft hearts, open ears. And Lord, that you would indeed give each person what they need. Encouragement, strength, correction, chastening, comforting. Lord, you know. And Lord, we pray that you would just speak mightily by your spirit. We would leave here encouraged and strengthened and our faith would be richer and deeper and more expectant of you to do the great and mighty things in us that only you can do in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated nice to stand up old school that was that was all another we get our knees sometimes well now we get our knees every sunday now but that was also a normal thing in the church to stand for the reading of God's Word. I know some churches still do this, and so, and we do it from time to time. But uh, to our chapter and our text here tonight, another very short psalm, but nine verses that are packed with encouragement and helping us to remember the surety of our salvation and the ever-present help of God, our King. And also reminding us that the Lord not only hears our prayers and our petitions, but he can be trusted to move on our behalf. If you're taking notes, you see the title this evening, The Saving Help of God. This psalm is unquestionably 
One that's written by King David. You can see in most of your Bibles, it probably says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. We know it's written by King David, but it's diff- it differs a little bit in that it's composed as the voice, and kind of why we stood up as a congregation. It's composed as the voice of a multitude, the congregation of Israel, praying as a plurality on behalf of King David. He speaks as well, but the prayer in the opening is on behalf of King David. Most likely, he and the army is headed out to battle. And when you go to battle, you can suffer injury, fatigue. Of course, battles are dangerous by nature. Death is possible. The singular in verse 6, if you look down in verse 6, where it says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointing. We'll get to that verse as well. But the singular there is either David, either King David, or it is the high priest praying on behalf of David. David then composes all this and makes it a song or a psalm. But either David or the priest was praying there. But the words, whether the plurality of the congregation or the singular of David or the priest, are for all of us that know God and need God. How many of you know God and also need God? Yeah. You wouldn't be here if you didn't need God. You could just check out and, I got my fire insurance, which some people think is valid. That's really not. If you think of it that way, you might not be saved. Paul Wilbur, he's a messianic Jewish believer. Many of you probably have listened to some of his music. He's produced so many beautiful and scriptural worship songs. Uh, he wrote a psalm that's taken from Psalm chapter 20, uh, and he has, this, he has this to say about this particular passage. He said, David, this is Paul speaking, David begins and ends this psalm with prayer for the righteous, an intercession that is certainly a theme throughout. I would encourage you to pray, which we just did, these powerful verses over yourself and receive the blessing that they bring. If nothing else, the encouragement. Remember, encouragement is to give courage. When God encourages us, he gives us courage. By the way, we need to read and pray more scripture out loud, not just when you're at church and when you're driving down the road. Read it aloud to yourself. Not read, but, you know, speak it. What you've memorized. Or maybe playing it uh, in your earbuds. Speak it aloud. I feel like, personally, I'm speaking for me here, I'm still in the infancy of my realizing the impact of God's Word read aloud. So many times we see in the Word, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. And He wants us to speak His Word, to speak and believe the Word of God. Let me remind you, um, I'll probably remind you many times through this series, the study of the Psalms, the theme is living a victorious life in the real world. And the real world is not an easy place to live, is it? It's deceptive. It drains us, right? It wipes us out. It bums us out. It angers us. It frustrates us. But the Psalms are written to live victorious over all of that stuff that's part of our nature and certainly part of this fallen world. Now, because God's Word is supernatural, do you believe it's supernatural? 
You know it's a lot different. I just got a brand new Consumer Reports in the mail, and I love that stuff. But someone here bought me the subscription, and they're here tonight, and thank you. I did not buy it. Whoever bought it for me, I love it. My wife, I study that kind of stuff. Oh, did you know this? Check this out. We're not even buying a washing machine in 15 years. I'm still studying, you know, that kind of thing. But, but God's work, things like that, they're informative, but they're not supernatural. There's a lot of things out there that are they're informative, but it's not supernatural. But the scriptures, it has the power to do something new, something fresh, life-changing. Even tonight, you come on a, just a, but you, as far as you could tell, just some normal Wednesday in the month of May, this passage could do something new and fresh in your life. Explosive. Because the Word of God can change your life at any time. Even after you're saved, it can change your life at any time. Post-salvation, it can change your life. And if, I, and if you don't believe it, at least I'm preaching this to me. No matter how much you already know about the Scriptures, and how many times you've read a single verse... It has the power to hit you like it's never hit you before. Isn't that great to know? It also has the power to lift you like you've never been lifted before. And I hope we all leave here strengthened in faith and whatever else the Lord wants to do in us. Look at verses 1 and 3. They're really the foundation of this entire passage, this chapter. Verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. Selah. The Lord answered the, in the day of trouble. What does that mean? Uh, times of distress, affliction, adversity, Anguish, tribulation, battles. Some days in life, now we know that David and the army was headed to a real battle where sweat and blood and death and all the things that were be around them, but some days in life that come our way are troublesome, aren't they? Some things that come our way are troublesome and they cause us to cry out, Help, God! Help! I'm at my wit's end. You ever felt like you're at your wit's end? I've been there. I, I really have, I'm not saying that just as a cliche. I really have been at times, Lord, I'm at my wit's end here. Times in the ministry. Maybe you have two. Could be severe physical pain. I mean, it's just such physical pain, you don't know what to do with it can be spiritually draining, something that has spiritually drained you to maybe not just empty, but below empty. You ever had your car below empty and you somehow, it still got to the exit? I don't play that game anymore, but I've been there. You ever been emotionally spent, mentally overwhelmed, anxious through the roof or depressed, discouraged, fearful, unable to sleep, Tossing and turning, counting your sheep and everybody else's. <laughs> and the list goes on. If we belong to the Lord, not only will He hear our cry, 
See, that's assumed in David's words. It's, or the, or the congregation, may the Lord answer you. May. And some, some of your uh, versions might not even have the word may. It says the Lord answer you. Some of your versions, may is not even there. But it's assumed by David's writing and the congregational prayer at the outset here that the Lord, it's assumed that the Lord's going to hear us. He hears his own. We hear, my sheep hear, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice, right? But he also hears his sheep. He's listening right now. He's waiting. He's ready. But we have to pray and we have to cry out. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we don't even feel like praying no matter how bad we feel. You ever been there? You feel horrible and you still don't feel like praying. But we must. It's not about what we feel. It's what God says. It's what God is instructing. Yes, others can pray for us. I'm glad that you pray for me and I pray for you all. I'm glad people pray. My wife prays for me. I'm sure my mom still prays for me. Lots of people pray for me. You guys pray for each other. Yes, people can pray for us. But the Lord is instructing us in this passage and many other passages as well. We're going to have to call out personally. Personally. We're going to have to cry out. Notice the wording. He will answer you. See that? The, the Lord will answer you in the day of trouble. You is you. Personal. You have to make the call. You have to dial the extension to the Father. And if we belong to Him, He's promised, and it's good to know, He's promised to answer us. Isn't that great to know? He's promised to answer us. Jeremiah 33, 3. You guys know this passage. Call to me and I will, and not I might, not I'll think about it, not if you've been really good, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. There's a bunch of stuff that God could do on our behalf which we don't know. I've told this story to some, so I don't think I've told from the pulpit, but I remember in my prior career, I remember one time I was meeting with the, the chief information officer at CarMax, CIO. You know, some of you that are in uh, business or IT, you know what a CIO is. And I was meeting with CIO and we were talking about a certain solution and he said there's probably... 16 ways this could be done, and we're lucky if we know one of them. Which I thought was great to hear, because I'm not used to hearing people with high position acknowledge that not there's a little bit they might know, but a lot that they might know. So I, was, I thought that was an amazing, stuck with me to hear someone who's not even a believer, as best I could tell, say there's probably 16 ways to do this, and we're lucky if we know one. I wish I could get half the Christians to think in that term, that there's probably 50 ways God could do this on your behalf, and you think he's limited to two. But I'm there sometimes too. I also think God, you know, I'm having my own struggle. Like, Lord, do this or this. And God's like, I can do a thousand other ways here. In ways you do not know. But the Lord is asking us, is imploring us, is telling us to call upon him. By the way, if you know him, you're going to absolutely need him. To know him is to need him. Which seems counter, like, well, if I know God, I really wouldn't need him that much. No, it's actually the more you know him, the more you need him. It's a paradox. You'll need him in new ways once you've come to faith. You needed him for salvation, but after salvation, you need him in whole new areas of life. 
Because now, here's why you now need God more after salvation than you did before salvation. Not for the salvation part, but I'm talking about to live out your salvation. Because now, guess what? You have an enemy warring against you. I have an enemy warring against me. The world doesn't need God because the world doesn't know God. Now, they actually do need God. They don't think they need God, but they don't think they need God because they don't know God. By the way, David speaks about the world in this passage. We're going to get to that a few verses down. One of my assurances that I know the Lord is because I know how much I need the Lord. That's one of the assurances that I know God because I cling to him. John chapter 15, we're told to abide in him. Apart from me, you can do what is it, church? Nothing. Nothing. You see, the day of trouble, here in verse 1, the day of trouble, any troubles, any troubles you can think of could be your day of trouble, but requires faith, faith to pray, faith to praise, Faith to call out to God that he is going to answer. Lord, I'm going to pray because I really believe you're going to answer me. And not only will the Lord hear us, but he's already where we're headed. Like the trouble could get deeper, but he's already 10 miles down the road where we're going to get to. And he's well past it. He's even out of the storm. He's above the storm, in the storm, past the storm, and even before the storm. He's not bound by time. I was listening to Pastor Lorraine down at Central Church in Charlotte. I was listening to him a few weeks back, and I loved an insight that he had. Uh, he, talk, he was talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow before um, that idol that was constructed. And we know that when they were thrown into that fiery furnace, the scripture says a fourth was in the fire with them. A fourth was there in the fire, not outside it, but actually in the fire with them. In Daniel 3.25, it's up on the screen. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And of course, everything, their, their ropes were burnt off, everything, but they weren't touched, not their clothing, not their hair. They didn't smell like smoke when they came out. And the fourth, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. How Nebuchadnezzar knew that was the Son of God was just God instantly said, that's the Son of God. By the way, that's a Christophany. That's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before he shows up after the virgin birth and the incarnation in the New Testament. So you have... And in a Christophany there where Jesus is seen even by Nebuchadnezzar and his men walking there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. But three were thrown in and four were walking around all in harm. But when it came time for them to be brought out, only three came out. Four didn't come out. Only three came out. See, God, in the form of Jesus Christ in this particular scene, was already in the fire. And he's already in your valley, and he's already in your desert, and he's already in your pit of whatever trouble you're in. He's already there before you got there. And when you come out, he'll be there for the next person that has a very similar fiery trial. Look at the second part of verse 2. May the God, or may the name of the God 
of Jacob defend you. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Jacob, of course, is another name for the nation of Israel. We know that Jacob was given the name Israel, so Jacob is his name, but Israel is also his name. But it's also a reminder that the same God that provided for and defended the patriarch, Jacob, he'll defend David. He'll defend David's men. And all the saints, and all the saints till now, including us, he'll defend all of us that are in the same seed of Abraham as Jacob was. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And when we hear the name of the Lord, it says, uh, may the name of the uh, God of Jacob, but also says, may the Lord answer you. The name of God, the name of the Lord. Um, when we hear this term, the name of the Lord, it means Hashem Adonai. We see the glory and we see the power and the reverence of that name. The name of God. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is to be praised forever. The name of the Lord is the one who made heaven and earth. The nations are going to fear the name of the Lord. They may not yet, but eventually they will. The name of the Lord is a strong tower of safety for us. Just His name calms our spirit. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. It's the name of the Lord you have to call on. You can't call on Buddha or Muhammad or Allah or anyone else. 1 Corinthians 6.11, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord. After salvation, there's just a continuing work of the name of the Lord in our life by the Spirit of our God. But to call on the Lord and to know that He hears us, to invoke His name, and to know that He will actually act on our behalf, not a figment of our imagination, but He will actually act on our behalf. Well, to know that and to believe that is reserved for those that the, that the Lord is your Lord. If the Lord is your Lord, you can know that he will act on your behalf. When it says the God of Abraham, or the God of Isaac, or the God of Jacob, I can now say the God of Tim. You can put your name there, whatever your name is. The God of and your name right there because you know him personally. So you know he'll actually answer you. He's not somebody else's God. He's your God. This is not a promise to the world. In the book of Proverbs, we have two verses in the same chapter. Chapter 15. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. We have pastors and priests in this country who are no more saved than an atheist. And actually what they do in the name of God is an abomination to God. They don't know that. goes on to say in the 29th verse, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. It's not to say that God doesn't want to redeem the wicked, but until there's repentance, there's a huge gulf between those that are lost. They're still under condemnation. He's not hearing their prayers of, hey, I want to make more money and I want this and I would like that. And Satan probably will answer their prayers. Anything to keep them out of heaven. But it won't be the Lord. But the foundation of verse 1 is set up 
set upon these promises and these truths and the guidance that we see in the next several verses all is from that foundation of verses 1 and especially verse 1. Look here in verse 2. Uh, may, he, may he send you help from his sanctuary. Where, where is his sanctuary? Well, God's throne is in the temple in heaven. His sanctuary is not a sanctuary made with human hands. His sanctuary is in the heaven of heavens. But it says, and also strengthen you out of Zion. And we know Zion is, is where Jerusalem is. Zion is in the land of Israel. It's right there on the Temple Mount. The temple had not yet been built when this was written, which is kind of an interesting thing to say, he'll strengthen you out of Zion. The temple had not yet been built, but the Ark of the Covenant was there. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The temple hadn't been built. The Ark of the Covenant was there. And wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, you have God resting between the cherubim at the mercy seat. So you have a picture of God there resting at Zion. And may the pre- Now we know he's also in his temple in the heavens, but he's also showing that he has a presence there in Zion. And may the presence of God, the, the point here is, may the presence of God be your strength. Tomorrow, whatever you're going through, may the presence of God be your strength. Next week, wherever you're at, may the presence of God be your strength. Out of his sanctuary, and just as he was resting there in Zion with David, he will be resting with us. May it come to us from the mercy seat. The mercy, that, that's where Moses had to meet God, was at the mercy seat. But may he strengthen you. Because God knows we need strength. God knows we need strength more than we know we need strength. Sometimes we're actually about to crash and don't even know it, and God already knows it. In Isaiah 40, 29, I love this passage, he gives power to the weak. Those that have no might, he increases. God is not impressed with The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger in his heyday or anyone else that you can think the, the ultimate fighting champion right now, whoever it is, that's, I think it's different every week, but whoever it is right now, God gives, he loves, he's, uh, I remember, I can't remember who I heard say it, but he's, God is attracted to weakness. Attracted to weakness. How are you going to impress God with strength anyway, by the way? <laughs> I mean, when he speaks the universe into existence, but he gives strength to the weak increases strength and those that have no might uh, maybe that's you here tonight maybe someone watching online may you and I believe and see that his strength can replace our weakness his strength can replace this is a spiritual thing it's not something you're going to get in a power smoothie or a carefully crafted diet from the best nutritionist in town Although those things can be helpful, Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. God wants us to know that he could give David the strength to fight a hundred battles from the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? That, that, Notice they didn't say, hey Lord, make sure that these guys have big muscles or anything. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say change their body composition. It says just give strength. What's, um, it also says here, 
and remember all your offerings in verse 3. Let's move to verse 3, actually. And may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. Here in verse 3, may he remember all of your offerings. Uh, what's mentioned here, uh, when it says the offerings, these were gratitude offerings. They were not, they were not animal sacrifices here. They're not blood sacrifices. Uh, you might have seen the grain offerings and things like that. So these are offerings of gratitude. But then it says your burnt sacrifice, that is a blood sacrifice. So you actually have both. You have offerings of gratitude, but then you have a blood sacrifice where somebody had to die in your place. that sound familiar? You have the offerings of gratitude, which were not blood sacrifices. And then you have the animal sacrifice there. From a new covenant perspective, as we look, this is kind of pointing towards the New Testament, the New Covenant that would come with Jesus, when we look at this, these gratitude offerings and the blood sacrifice from a New Covenant perspective, this represents gratitude offerings as us giving ourselves back to Christ and gratitude. Say, Lord, Jesus said, he who has forgiven much will what? Love much. Lord, you've saved me. I'm giving my life. We talked about Mary. She was just pouring out that sacrifice on Jesus' feet as gratitude. Thank you for raising Lazarus from the dead. Thank you for healing Simon the leper. Thank you for all you've done for me, Martha. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was a gratitude offering. It wasn't a blood. Notice it wasn't a blood sacrifice. It was oil of spikenard. Gratitude. We pour out our own lives in gratitude, but the blood sacrifice isn't from us. That's Jesus. That's substitutionary. Just as they had substitutionary animals, which Hebrews tells us all about. In the book of Hebrews I'm speaking of. So you see this new covenant picture there. Then this word Selah, which kind of wraps up these first three verses, is found 74 times in the Old Testament. The word Selah, 74 times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew mindset of that word, you've, I'm sure you've seen it before, and maybe you know what it means, but just as a point of you know, reminder, it means to reflect or to pause. It's to stop and say, hold on, let me reread and, and digest that. You ever reread something and say, oh, I just read that, it looks like pretty good information. Let me stop and reread it again, or important information, like I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm doing this about, what night is the recycle out on the street? You know, I'm having to reread the email, I'm pretty sure it's this day, you know, I reread the information all over again, because I can never remember. But this is more important than that. Moving on to verse 4, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. When the Lord shapes our hearts to follow the heart of Jesus, our desires then become, God changes our desires. We're like, we, start, we go from, man, I would love a Maserati. I would love a Mazda. We move down stream, you know. <laughs> we move from that. I just want wheels that work. Then it's like, Lord, if you can get more to the mission field. You follow that? You know, you, it, he changes um, our desires. And the Lord gives us godly desires, which he, he, and he loves to give us our heart when our heart becomes in tune with the heart of God. You guys know Psalm 37, 4. We'll probably end up doing Psalm 37, but delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Be, but only people who delight in the Lord like to see people saved as opposed to new stuff. 
All the people who delight the Lord like to see lives change and marriages rebuilt as opposed to them getting a $10 million home. You follow that logic? That the more you're saved, the more eternal things really matter to you. Other stuff you realize, that, you know, that could go up and smoke in a minute. Why, why am I so focused on that? And I'm not saying we don't have moments of that stuff. We all do. We're still fleshly. We're still human at times. We're like, man, I want the best vacation the man's ever seen. And then God calls us back to earth. So, you know, calm down. That's not me talking. That's the commercial you just watched. Right? <laughs> That's all that was. It's an emotional moment. But when we delight ourselves, Lord, he gives us his desires. And that his desires become our heart's desires. Then he says, and may all your purpose, um, may you fulfill all your purpose. God has a specific purpose for each of us, personal, your purpose, that he would help us fulfill and he gives us a holy purpose. Otherwise, we're just making our own purpose. Moving on to verse 5. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Not only fulfill your purpose, but now fulfill your petitions. We know the original context of the congregation. We talked about the congregation there of Israel all standing and praying on behalf of David, on behalf of the soldiers in the army that would be going out to battle. But what a beautiful picture when you look at this fifth verse in the context of the church. Look at it again. We will rejoice in your salvation. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our, as Jesus taught the church to pray, he said, our Father, Hallowed be your name. He said, you need to pray our, like collective. You're praying on behalf of not yourself, but just the whole body of Christ. Our God, we will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We see, again, our. It's a we, not a me. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, speaking to the person, you know, sometimes the worship team does that thing where we kind of, pray in both directions. We kind of have that closing song and we're pointing to each other and we have that mindset right here. When we look at the New Testament church as kind of a foreshadow here of that early church in Acts chapter 2. So we understand the original context, but what a beautiful picture of the New Testament church, the bride of Christ praying for each other, thanking the Lord for each other's salvation. When I look out here, I'm thankful for all y'all's salvation just like I'm thankful for my salvation. Maybe not to the same degree, because it's kind of hard for us, this side of heaven, to have that kind of perfection, but there's still a, a really deep, true gratitude for other people's salvation, even if it's not just ours. You ever feel that? Like, you, man, I'm so glad this person got saved. I remember when they were this way five years ago. Now I look at them now, and I'm so thankful for their salvation. There's nothing in it for you personally. You just have now the mindset that God has put in you. The same things that make God smile and heaven rejoice. Make us smile and make us rejoice. We see a spiritual teamwork and a common hope in verse 5. We will remember the name of our God. We will set up our banners. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's a commonality that we say, Lord... We see what you're doing in the whole body of Christ. That's why it's easier for us to say goodbye to Lee and Zach because what's happening in India, we're still one family. I know we're separated by a lot of miles, 
And thankfully, we now have things like Zoom and other stuff like that that we can connect a little better. But even if we didn't have all that, and Paul and them didn't have that stuff when they were apart, they didn't see each other for two or three years, and there was like, like no communication at times. And our banners, when it says, we'll lift up our banners, our banners do not say, American Christian, Calvary Chapel, Richmond, we're the most awesome church. I know every church in town wants to have the coolest logo on the back of their sticker. This is our banner. We're not about Jesus, about this cool logo. But no, our banner is Jesus, high and lifted up. Not our logo, not the American Christian, not any of that stuff. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves. Now we have a, we have a singular, not the congregational speak here. Now this is either David speaking or the, or the high priest, but more than likely David. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. David jumps in. I want to I get in on this prayer speaking here. David or the high priest speaking. I, I, again, I believe it's David. Uh, but he says, I know. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He saves us with that first eternal work of salvation. It's saving us from what? Sin and death. That's that first saving work of our life. Me and my wife, it was June 1995. Calvary Chapel walked forward. He saved us at that moment and anointed us to now be part of the family of God. And at that point, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit. We're given the indwelling, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And that was given to us, for, if the Lord's not going to call us home like the thief on the cross that very day, it was given to us at that point to now have a, serve, a life of service unto God. We weren't saved to do nothing. We weren't saved to sit there and listen to great teaching or blah, blah, blah. We were saved now unto service of the Lord. But he says, I know that the Lord saves, this is again David speaking, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. So think about, he's not speaking just of that original work of salvation. He's also speaking, David's already saved. He's speaking of the many other things that come after salvation. Well, after salvation, and we receive the Holy Spirit, this goes back to something we talked about earlier minutes ago, this enters us into this whole new battle of a lifetime. As Tozer said, the world is not a playground, but a battleground. So we have this lifetime battle against our own flesh, which is bad enough, right? Your biggest enemy on earth is you and me. It's not anybody else. But then, aside from our own flesh that the Spirit is warring against, we have this constant battle against the course of this world, which I don't know if you noticed, is going nuts. <laughs> Literally losing their minds where they didn't have much to begin with. And you, you have a world, and the enemy being Satan, that hates, and I put this in all caps. I know you don't like to text each other in all caps, but this one needs to be in all caps. Hates God. Satan hates God, hates Christ, hates the work of the Spirit, and he also hates the children of God. That's why we have people in dungeons in North Korea and in China 
and people have been crucified and martyred and inquisitions and all these things that he hates. And thereby, the believer, after salvation, needs many saving moments in lifetime. In a lifetime. Does that make sense? You have your salvation, which was your original saving, signed, sealed, and delivered, but then you need many other savings, if you will, lots of rescues in the course of your lifetime. But as he's faithfully saved us from sin and death, here's the good news, he'll faithfully save us from all the pits and days of trouble and times of trouble and new battles and this battle and that battle and this fiery furnace and this situation. Paul writes about this. Near, he's like, I've come through this. You ever seen his little list of things? It's, 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 it's a shocking list, isn't it, right? A shipwreck, I've been, you know, all these different things. But it's not easy when you're serving the Lord. Warren Wearsby said, when your service is the most difficult, God may be doing his deepest work in your life. So don't run away. When you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have said, that's it. We are done with this whole servant God thing. You introduce the fiery furnace, we're out of here. Now they didn't run. They, put, they set their face like a flint. That's what they did, which is following the model of Jesus, Messianic and Isaiah. But what a truth and a comfort that God, when you, you might be going through the ringer, someone online right now, you might be going through it like you have never gone through it before, that God may be doing his deepest work right now in your life. And you, it's only when you have a test do you get a testimony. You testify after a test. You test. You have a testimony because you've gone through a test. Moses has something to say because of what he went through. If he never went through anything, he doesn't have anything to say. Oh, I got saved. I ate marshmallows the rest of my life or whatever. I don't know where that came from. But I, haven't even, I don't even like marshmallows. Though. But I like them toasted, but other than that. But what a truth and a comfort. Only, guess what? It's only Satan. Hear this out. It is only Satan that wants you and me to run from our service and battle. Satan is the only one that wants you to run the other direction from serving God or being in the battle. God never said, hey, I want you to run from this. No. Only Satan wants us to run. And Satan knows, Satan knows God better than some Christians do. A lot of Christians. Better than all of us at times. That's how he deceives even Christians for moments, not permanently. But Satan knows that God will help you and refresh you. A lot of Christians don't know that God will help and refresh. Satan, he's not going to help you and refresh you. He will not do that. You need to run from this. But I thought he put me in this battle. No, he didn't put you in this battle. You got into No, I thought he wants me to serve here. No, he didn't want you to serve here. He wants you to go watch TV. Really? Yeah, he wants you to do nothing. He wants you to live for yourself because that's going to calm your nerves. It's not true. You'll go do all that and your nerves won't be calmed. Satan lies. Oh, I know someone needs to know this. He will answer from heaven and he will strengthen with or saving or the saving strength, verse 6, at the bottom of verse 6, the saving strength of his right hand. I remember when we first got saved, my wife loved this verse. You still love it, right, honey? You still love this verse. Why would you not still love this verse? 
I mean, and matter of fact, you'll get older and you'll need this verse in new ways that you'd never needed it 15 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Something else will come rolling down the hill at you in our direction. Fear not, for I am with you. Imagine if Jesus spoke these words audibly to your ear. But he is. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Not someone else's God, your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's no sin in the hand of God. It's just purity and strength. It gets better. I love these last few verses. Look at verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In my neighborhood, by the way, they don't trust in horses. They're all trusting out protection dogs. Rottweilers, Dobermans, German Shepherds. They're, they're making a comeback like I've never seen before. So I'm going to have to have, I don't know, I'm going to have to get me a lion or something like that. So something that kind of ups the game or something. I'm just kidding. Those of you dog people. I love all you dog people. Great. But back to, back to the passage here. That was really digressing there. Um, uh, what the world, so this passage, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Um, what about the world, those that don't know God, we've already established, they don't depend on God. They don't know God. They don't depend on God. They depend on everything else. Everything they depend on was created by man. On this, in this lifetime. Some of it is just a redo. Solomon said some things had been done long before and they're just redone. We think everything is like, he said there's nothing new under the sun. But anyway, the world depends on what they can see, what they have created. In essence, the world depends on themselves, right? It's every man for themselves. Chariots, in this time in history... When David is writing this, chariots and trained war horses were some of the fiercest weaponry of that time. Fierce weaponry. I mean, they could just mow down foot soldiers and leave just a trail of carnage. And they were fast, and they were, well, again, well-trained, fierce weapons of that time. But not only were they fierce weapons, just like in our own society, we have the Department of Defense, we have Pentagon, we have trillions of dollars makes fierce weapons, and the same was true then. To have a fierce army, you had to have a level of wealth and power to build that army. So it re represents all the things that people trust, not just the weaponry itself, but the money behind it, the possessions, the power, the political machinery, the philosophies, the medicine, all of it. You and I have an appreciation for some of those things. We, we, we all use money to pay our bills. Many of us have some medication we're taking. We, we have an appreciation of those things. We're not disparaging all of that. But we don't put our trust in those things. Amen? There's a huge difference. We don't put our trust. We know that the supply chain could completely unravel in the next 18 months. And we could all be saying, all right, Lord, my new medicine is prayer. Right? That could happen. It's happened to Christians in our life and in history. So why would it be unusual? And David, boy, there's times when he was in a cave with nothing but the Lord. And so he knew what it was like to depend upon the Lord. We don't put our trust in those things. 
In 2 Samuel 22, verse 31, says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. He's not a shield to everybody. God is not a shield to everybody. He's a shield to those who trust in him. He's not a shield to everyone. But we're going to keep calling, I hope all of us here and those of you online, we're going to keep calling on the name of the Lord our God who is perfect in everything. Perfect in strength, perfect in wisdom, perfect in counsel, perfect in forgiveness, you name it. He's perfect. Look over to Psalm 18 for just a second. Uh, I've got, I think I can pull all this off in my five minutes. Look at verse 18. You think about the things that God, uh, some trust in horses. We will remember the name of our Lord our God. Look over in for, uh, chapter, Psalm 18. Bonus psalm material here. We're not covering 18, but it, it ties over to 20. Uh, verse 28. The Lord, for you, Lord, will be my lamp. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. Isn't that great to know? When things are all, God says, I will enlighten, I'll put light in the dark place. He says, I'm in a dark place. God says, I'll, I'll put light there. Verse 29, no matter how old you are, and this makes me feel great spiritually, I don't think it will uh, hold true forever physically. But for by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. It's the kind of walls that Satan puts in our path. says, you can't get past this. And God says, yes, you can. Satan says, you cannot get, I'm putting this wall here. You can't get past. And God says, my ways are perfect. You can come over the wall. Uh, As for God, and there's the same wording here in verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. Same as we see in 2 Samuel 22 there. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust him. Same language we see here in Second uh, Samuel 22. And then in verse 32, it is God who arms me with strength, in verse, uh, chapter 18, and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. You ever seen um, those mountain goats on the side of hills that are like, I mean, it's almost a straight drop, and they're just, ro- they're just running back and forth, and those things, you're like, how in the world are they doing this? God's given them incredible balance, and Satan wants to have you, like, don't look down. God's like, no, I have you. Verse 8, last two verses, they have bowed down and fallen, this being the other army that uh, they'll encounter, but also a picture of the world, even a picture of Satan. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen. We know that there's a resurrection coming, isn't there? There's going to be a time where we'll all rise. We have risen and stand upright. Picture here of both hell and the resurrection. There's a lot of pictures in this verse, but I don't have time to, just that one passage has a lot of scriptural truth. But um, here in verse 8, David and the congregation, they know what God has done in the past, he will do again. What God's done in the past, he'll do again. What happened to the whole world, what happened to the Egyptian army there in the Red Sea, what happened to Goliath with one little stone from little David, David's own life was a testimony of this, what happened to those evil representations of the course of this world, and Satan himself, what he did there on behalf of Noah and Moses and David, God will do again. God has done again. God's done many times again. In the history of God on behalf of his people, God's victories always are shock the world type victories. You ever notice that? I, I had a, like a new confidence say reading this. I was like, hold on a second. I'm, I'm meditating on this. God's victories against evil are shocked the world. Like everyone thought 
Everyone except for David thought David would get slaughtered by Goliath. Everyone thought that. Everyone on earth, I mean everyone on earth thought Noah was the loon and then they all get destroyed. Everyone in Pharaoh's army said, we've got them trapped. There's no escape. They're at the edge of the river. Do you follow me? Every one of these victories are shocked the world. Like the ones that CNN and MSNBC and Fox News or whatever, they say, this is not even possible. Write them off. They're done. And then God says, last second, everything turns. So that should make you feel pretty good if you feel like, I'm on an eight count right here. Like one more shot and I'm out. That's how God is shock the world type victories. And this pre-battle confidence is looking at the past, but also the present faithfulness of God. We don't look at the world's political solutions, their technologies, their philosophies, their armies, their chariots, if you will, because we know they're destined for a total collapse. A total collapse. Uh, Nahum chapter 2, verse 13. This is God speaking directly. Uh, Behold, he says it to Assyrians, but he says it really to all the armies of the world and all the nations of the world and all the solutions. Behold, I am against you, said the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke. Joshua 11:6. He says to Joshua, but the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow about this time, another shock, the world victory. Uh, tomorrow about this time, I will deliver all them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horse and burn their chariots with fire. God's like, I have the total victory in my hands. That's what made Peter fearless and Paul fearless. And Moses eventually, they weren't at the outset. Paul and Moses are, I mean, Peter and Moses are great examples. They were not fearless when they started. You see, the world's chariots and everything the world trusts in is destined for fire. Peter writes this, that the whole world is destined for fire. I know that's not a popular message. Meanwhile, here's a pretty cool thought. The world and its chariots are destined for fire. God has chariots of fire. Literally. He has chariots of fire. Their chariots are destined for fire that consumes them, but God has chariots of fire because his chariots are invincible. They are not consumed. They're holy vessels at the disposal of God driven by angels. So can you back that up? Yes, I can. 2 Kings 6.17. And Elisha, whose mentor, the one he learned from, went up and Elijah... His mentor went up in a chariot of fire. Elisha goes, comes around and find, comes to find out that there wasn't one chariot of fire that took Elijah. There were millions of chariots of fire because he says, Lord, I pray, open the eyes. The young man was petrified about the army coming down from Syria. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isn't that awesome to know? What if, people, what if people run into churches and, and start shutting everything down? So what? God has chariots of fire. Right? Verse 9, closing prayer. He says, save, Lord. Exclamation. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call it. Kind of ties back to verses 1 and 2. It's a closing prayer of faith. 
We have us, and really the world does too, whether they want to look at it, it's a different story. And many have. I mean, we have, many of you weren't saved 10 years ago. You started to look at the evidence of God. You started to look at the evidence of gospel, and you became convinced. But we have all the evidence of the scriptures. We have the evidence of creation in spite of people who believe in evolution. The, evolu- the creation tells a completely different story. We have all the evidence of the scriptures. We have all the evidence of creation. We have all the evidence of history. We have our own changed lives as living testimonies and epistles of the power of the gospel and salvation. But we need to call on the Lord again with new faith, looking at the evidence that we already have and say, Lord, save Lord. Hear us again here in the middle of May 2022. Evidence does not alleviate the need for faith. This is for people that are still agnostic and atheist. Evidence doesn't alleviate the need for faith. It brings us to the place of exercising faith. The reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could exercise faith is they saw the evidence. They really believed that the children of Israel went through the Red Sea. Like they didn't think it was a fairy tale. They were convinced. They said, our God can save us, even the fire. But even if he doesn't, we're going to go home with him immediately. So they were thinking, all right, either we are going to be like Enoch in heaven really quick, because even the guys that threw them in were consumed in seconds, right? Like, poof, gone. They're like, either we're going to be in heaven in a, in a nanosecond, or we're going to see a Red Sea type thing. So how could we lose, right? The evidence had brought them a place of exercising their faith. Do you believe that God the Father is with you, is for you, and living in you? Do you believe that? Do you believe you can call on him? And then he'll answer. And he'll defend you in your day of trouble, which may be right now or maybe recently or maybe soon. And he's promised his saving help and strength. And I had to add this one, one last verse that I got this morning. I, was, I had to add it. I love this verse. It's actually written in the passages to Babylon, but it's a little section about Israel right in there in that verse, verse 20. And it says... Um, For I will pardon those whom I preserve. If God has pardoned you, he will preserve you. Isn't that great to know? If he's pardoned you, he will. It's called the perseverance of the saints. It's a doctrine we see uh, in the New Testament. But because he's pardoned us and because he's preserved us, he's calling on us to pray to him with faith. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time. In your word, we, Lord, we, there's just nine verses here, but they have the power. Even one word of it has the power to change us completely. Even though we're saved, Lord, it has the power to ignite a whole new plateau of faith. And, Lord, that we would be able to have a testimony that we could say like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, David, Moses, Noah, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. We could say with these others that we called upon the Lord. And he heard us. And the God of Jacob is able to defend us. And Lord, we know that the world around us is going to bow down and fall down. But we will rise. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to rise up out of unbelief and even our own fears or anxiousness or worries. And Lord, you would help us to rise to places of courage as you encourage us. And Lord, we know that you will come to our defense. I pray, Lord, that that you would encourage someone here tonight uh, or online, Lord, that they can know that what they're facing, you haven't told them to run. You've told them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you. You are dismissed.